Welcome once again to Leto's Law. Here's Steve Leto. Wes sent me a note yesterday and said, Steve, have you seen the story? And I had, I made a mental note to do it, and I forgot to do it. And it's from the Institute for Justice, who are heroes of mine. Uh, the Fourth Circuit issues important decision affirming the presumption of innocence in civil forfeiture cases. We've talked about this, civil asset forfeiture, where the police just take your stuff and go, oh, you want it back? Sue us. And that kind of flips the presumptions such that you're forced to prove your innocence to get your money back. And they say, well, you're not proving your innocence. You're proving the innocence of the money or whatever we took from you, which is absurd. But that's just the legal fiction they've been using for years to do this. So Dan King wrote this for the Institute. Uh, and by the way, in case you're curious, Institute for Justice is a public interest law firm who represent clients free of charge in cutting-edge litigation defending vital constitutional rights. You can support them, and I'll put the link in the description below the video. Uh, today, the 4th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals, and this is a week or so ago, issued an important civil forfeiture decision holding that the government cannot just assume that drivers found with large amounts of cash in their vehicles are engaged in drug trafficking. So it's the 4th Circuit has said specifically, you cannot make that assumption. Now, the case at hand involves a North Carolina man who was found asleep in a car that had cash in the trunk. Now, again, people are going to say, but Steve, he shouldn't be traveling with cash. Why not? I mean, it might not be the wisest thing to do in the sense that someone steals your car, might you know they might steal your money. But there's no law against traveling domestically with cash. I'm making the distinction to make sure you understand this. You're driving around inside the United States in a vehicle, inside the country. There's no law against traveling with cash. Federal prosecutors had no idea where the cash came from, but they filed a civil forfeiture complaint alleging that the cash had to be drug proceeds because we all know that's where cash comes from. Where do babies come from? We know that. Where does cash come from? Drug proceeds. In the government's view, only a drug dealer would have that much cash in a car. Ipso facto. There you go. Well, in September 2020, the United States District Court for the District of South Carolina agreed with the government and entered a judgment forfeiting the cash. The Fourth Circuit, however, reversed and rejected the government's argument that lawful citizens do not carry around large amounts of cash that are rubber banded and bundled. Rubber banded, oh my gosh. If, if, <sighs> rubber bands. They're now on the streets. People on the streets have got rubber bands. What's this world coming to when people rubber band their money? It's, it's, oh my gosh. And they bundle it. They bundle it and rubber band it. This is just crazy that people would do that with cash. <laughs> The court held not using a bank does not necessarily make one a criminal. As a result, the case will be sent back to the district court where the man can make his case to a jury. Hey, imagine that concept, a jury. <laughs> if the government is going to take money from someone, they should be required to provide real evidence that the money was obtained in an illegal way, not simply throw around baseless assumptions, says Rob Johnson, an attorney for the Institute for Justice, who authored the amicus brief in, in this case, and also argued before the Fourth Circuit. Unfortunately, however, assumptions are all the government has in many of these cases. Today's decision sets an important precedent that will force the government to come forward with real evidence to convince a jury. 
They'll actually have to make their case and prove it. <laughs> I know some people think that maybe I'm going a little over the top on this one, but they would actually go into court. I'm talking about attorneys wearing suits and carrying briefcases. And they go and sit down in the court and they clunk, clunk, and they open their briefcase up and they pull out their, they pull out their files. And the court calls the case. May it please the court, Your Honor. John Doe, on behalf of the people, I'll decide to tell us about your case. Well, the respondent was found with $69,000 in cash that was rubber banded and bundled in his car. Anything further? No. Judge rules in their favor. <laughs> You'd think $69,000 in cash would be hard to move around without rubber bands. But, again, the Institute for Justice's brief argued the government should be required to prove wrongdoing in a civil forfeiture case rather than forcing a property owner to prove their own innocence. And the court agreed. And this, by the way, is huge. This is huge. And it will have to go to the U.S. Supreme Court because the U.S. Supreme Court has ruled in the past that civil asset forfeiture is perfectly fine. It's perfectly fine. It's a, it's a tool. It's a tool used to fight crime. Uh, the government has the burden of proof here, and that makes all the difference. So the man involved in this case is very excited about the outcome, and it means a lot to him and his family that people are fighting for him, says uh, one of his attorneys. This decision would not have been possible without the help of the Institute. Rob's argument was invaluable. I cannot emphasize that enough. So the man had his own attorneys handling his case, and the Institute stepped in and said, can we help? <laughs> sure. So they filed what's called an amicus brief. And amicus comes from the same root word uh, regarding friend, amigo, amicus. There's a similarity there, I believe. And so an amicus brief is someone who's saying, I'm a friend of the court. And that's what they call it because they're not a party to the case. But they simply want to get involved to try to help the case proceed through the court. McClellan's case began in January 2019 when police found him asleep in his car in a gas station parking lot with a blunt in the ashtray and an empty liquor bottle in the passenger seat. Now, he did plead guilty to public intoxication. Okay? But when they were arresting the man, they found the $69,000 in the trunk, rubber-banded and bundled. Well, the cash had no connection to any criminal charges, and obviously it has nothing to do with his public intoxication. Police did not prove the money was obtained illegally either. They still seized the money through a process called civil forfeiture. Police then transferred the money to the federal government using the program of equitable sharing, which allows them to circumvent state laws that protect against such seizures by turning the case into a federal one. So you can't bring an action in state court because the state court will tell you, well, no, it's a federal case because of that equitable sharing thing. The local police get a large kickback of 80%. So think about this. You seize $100,000 and you hand it to the feds. So now the person can't sue you in state court because it's a federal case. And the feds then give you back $80,000 and you get to keep the $80,000 as the law enforcement entity that seized the money, whatever the state tells you to do with that money. And of course, that is the state telling you to do the money, but it's still a federal case. So the person wants their money back, they got to go to federal court. And all this stuff is happening in one state, of course. The use of equitable sharing is particularly significant here because the South Carolina Supreme Court is right now considering another case 
which could end the practice of civil forfeiture altogether. That case, likewise, being pushed by the Institute for Justice. Equitable sharing creates a perverse incentive for police to find a way around state laws, says IJ attorney Caroline Grace Brothers. By proceeding in federal court under federal law, police were able to sidestep that case, which is still pending. The IJ has appealed other district court forfeiture rulings, including one in Rochester, New York, where police took $8,000 from a woman who was planning to invest in her food truck business, and she was never charged with a crime and never got a day in court. But they took her money. And I mean, $8,000, obviously, it's fruit of a crime, or is going to be used in a crime, or was probably rubber-banded and bundled. (laughs) And so every time I do these stories, I'll get one or two people to say, Steve, come on. Guy's got $69,000 cash in his car. He's up to no good. And yet we hear stories about people going to buy vehicles. That's the most common one. People going to buy a vehicle. So you're going to go buy a vehicle from somebody. Will they take a personal check? Probably not. Will they take a money order? Not if they're smart and understand how easy those are to make. What do they want? Cash. So you're going to go buy a car with cash. Uh, How do you transport your money? Well, you could scatter it about your car, throw some in the glove box, throw some in the back seat, throw some on the floor, or you could put it in what we call a bundle and rubber band it and then put the bundles in something, shoebox, paper bag, big envelope, briefcase, or like I said, you could scatter the money about your car. And apparently, if you scattered the money about your car, (laughs) I just think it's funnier than around your car. If you scatter the money about your car, the police have one less argument to make as to why you're a drug dealer. Because your money wasn't rubber banded and bundled. And obviously, that's like a street thing. That's what you do with your money if you're a criminal. You rubber band it and you bundle it. This is just crazy. So it's good to see they're making progress. This is the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals in the federal system. But as noted previously, the U.S. Supreme Court still appears to be on board with civil asset forfeiture. So somebody needs to get one of these in front of the U.S. Supreme Court to see what they'll say. Maybe, maybe they'll come around. But most attorneys don't think they're going to, just based on history. But we'll see what happens. So this is a great victory for regular people, especially those who occasionally use cash. And it's a big victory for the Institute for Justice. And I've told people before, this is not an advertisement. I don't get any money for this. Um, there's, There's nothing here except me speaking to you as a person who's been on YouTube for eight years. I've made several thousand videos. I've covered thousands of stories. And civil asset forfeiture is still... The number one thing that upsets me in the stories that I do videos about. So if you want to help, if you want to help, tell everyone you know about civil asset forfeiture. But number two, support the Institute for Justice. And I put their link in the description below. And I'm going to let you know that I've gotten several correspondences from the Institute. And they said, Steve, we know when you do a story that mentions us. Because we see an uptick in donations. And I, seriously, it humbles me 
that I've got viewers who are as concerned about this as I am and will actually step up and respond. So I support the Institute. And if you like what they do, you can support them as well. Go visit their website, read the stories about what they do. And they are filling a very, very large void otherwise in the legal system. Because if the police took your money from you and you wanted to get it back, you have got to hire an attorney at your own expense. Even if you win, you've got to pay your attorney. That's one of the reasons they do it. So if you had $50,000 in cash on you and they took your money from you, all they got to do is say, hey, let's make this guy spend $50,000 in attorney fees. And the best that he can hope for is a wash. And anybody who's smart would look at that and go, why would I do that? Spend 50 trying to get my 50 back? Because if I lose, I'm out 100 And so a lot of people, when they see the actual calculus, step back and go, you know, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. So we need people to be able to fight this, number one, on principle. But number two, if it gets fought more, maybe it can get spun around. And one of the organizations that's making those fights possible is the Institute for Justice. Again, the link is below. Wes, thanks for reminding me, but it's a great story with a good outcome. Dan King wrote it for the Institute. Fourth Circuit issues important decision affirming the presumption of innocence in civil forfeiture cases. Questions or comments, put them below. Let's talk to you later. Bye-bye. Thank you for watching Lato's Law. If you're not supposed to eat at night, then why is there a light bulb in the refrigerator?